bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we, your people, confess the sin of our nation aborting our children. We have dishonored life, soaking our hands in the blood of the innocent and washing our hands in indifference towards those who do this. We confess the sin of the church. We've been militant regarding the unborn and yet indifferent to the plight of their mothers. We've preferred to be right about an issue rather than become involved in speaking up for those who need someone to speak for themselves, both mother and child. We confess the sin of our country that has legalized this evil and has promoted it as good, and the sin of those who use the desperateness and ignorance of people as an occasion to make money. We confess our sins as your people. We've not prayed as much as we ought. We've not acted in private and in public as we should. We've not shown love and compassion to desperate mothers as we could. And we have not used our time and money and labor to establish alternatives as you would. So forgive us our many sins and failures, we pray, for Jesus' sake. He alone is our hope and righteousness and our grace in forgiveness and our strength in resolve to do your will. Teach us to leave our complacent lives and to be concerned for every life, born and unborn. And enable us to seek your face and to be moved to obedience to you out of love for you and our helpless citizens. And Father, we ask for your special work to be done through this ministry of special blessings, through Marie and her story, through the others who will join her. And may truly the older be able to teach the younger support and help and courage as we seek to honor you through all of life. For Jesus' sake, amen. If you would uh, turn to Mark chapter 4 in your Bible or on your device, I would like to read four short and very rich verses. By contrast to what I'm going to do in the weeks to come, if I'm at this pace, we're still in chapter 1, it's the end of January, I'm supposed to finish this book in six months. You'll see next week, I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it. But this week, we're going to look very carefully just at four short, rich verses. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, four short verses. Want to look, observe, dig, and then we're going to be amazed at how much Mark can say in so few words. Then, however, we're going to finish our time with a little informed exam of what a follower of Christ looks like and what that would teach us about trusting God. Because remember, we're 
considering now up until Palm Sunday, and we're going to have Holy Week, and we're going to have um, international emphasis for a few weeks, and then we'll come back again for the rest of the book. But from now until then, the first eight chapters, because the book is divided basically in half. The first verse says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, a written gospel, which is what this is, is a confession of who Jesus is. And there are two confessions. The first comes at the end of chapter 8, where Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And then the other one comes in chapter 15 by the centurion who declares that he's the Son of God. And that's the basic outline of the book. Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The Messiah means that he's the promised one, the one God said was coming. And what we're going to learn from this is that God made a promise and therefore you can trust him because he's true to his promise. So as we walk through these chapters, we're going to learn what it is to trust God. And you go, yeah, 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 I know all about that. In the narrative of it all, we're going to see how God builds trust. You don't just do it once and get it. You learn to trust. And we're going to see how people learn to trust. We're going to look at what trust looks like. And we're going to learn to grow in our faith because that is what God is all about. And, he's, and we're never done in that growing of faith. So what lesson about trust could we learn from these verses? And I'm just going to pick these phrases apart, actually word by word. First word, as. Believe it or not, there's significance in that. Because what it means is something else is going on. As Jesus walked, he had said just previously in verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near. We're in the midst of something else. A bigger picture, a better plan. Even the term come near is a walking term. And there's journey here. Journey that we get to be included in. We get to walk with him. Amazing thought. You get to walk with God. Why would we want to miss out on any of that? So, as Jesus walked, this is about proximity as opposed to kind of a destination. What do I mean by that? Well, the teachers and the priests and the Pharisees, all the religious leaders of the day, lived in Jerusalem mostly. Most uh, much of why Jesus' ministry initially was in Galilee, which is the northern reaches of Israel, and then way up into other places outside of Israel, way up into what we consider Lebanon today, and now out in Decapolis, which is east of the Jordan. Much of his ministry initially was out in these areas. Why was he doing that? Because he was avoiding the confrontation that would come with these in Jerusalem. And that confrontation will end up coming, and you know, we know how that story ends. In fact, when he gets to the predictions of his death, it's all tied up in this phrase, I'm going up to Jerusalem. Instead, during this period of time, he was seeking what was lost and, would, would, and, and what would want to be found. If you flip over to the very next chapter in chapter 2, there's a classic story of that when he calls Matthew, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2, or Levi, and he's a tax collector who was you know, very looked down upon. And it says in verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's or Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many that followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked, why does he eat with these people? Why does he eat with all these bad people? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. How sick are you? Do you even think you are? He's come as a physician to help the sick. Are you one of those? Or are you one of those that says, how come he hangs around with those people? Great news on this one. This doctor makes house calls. As Jesus walked with these sinners. Great news. There's proximity here. There's tremendous humility. Are you getting this? A galactic God decides to walk. And this isn't the first time. We see it at the very beginning when we got into this whole rhubarb. In Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned against God, it says God came in the cool of the day walking in the garden. And then over and over in Scripture, when He comes to meet with Abraham and the three witnesses, they walk together. And then he wrestles with Isaac. And David has his shepherds, of whom in Psalm 23 he says, He leads me besides still waters. Jesus goes out of his way to walk through Samaria to find the woman at the well. He, he walks along and finds Zacchaeus up in a tree and tells him to come down because he's going to go to his house that day. He walks after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus with these disciples to help them understand that he's alive. Over and over and over again, Jesus, God, walks with us. Talk about humility. And then there's such identification. There's understanding. There's participation. Hebrews 4 tells us we don't have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weaknesses, but has been tested in every way as we are, and yet he did not sin. As Jesus walked. Amazing. Then beside the Sea of Galilee, The location is important. There's purpose to this. This was the location of the common people, the ones that lived up in the north that had these funny accents that were undereducated because the disciples became known for their lack of education and they knew who they were for the the way that they spoke. They were criticized for this. They were low-status people. They were fishermen. They smelled like fish all the time. Interesting that he would choose that location to be with those people. And then it's a location actually of great promise. Two times in Matthew 28, after Jesus is resurrected, the women who come to the well, I mean the well, the the tomb, find um, that they're supposed to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. An angel tells them, and then they run into Jesus, and he tells them himself, go to Galilee. I'm going to meet them in Galilee. Why would he do that? Because that was their place. That was their land. That was security. That was home. God meets us right where we are. Fascinating. The whole world is going to end with a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, but we don't have to go to Jerusalem to meet God. Do you know why this church is called Bethlehem Church? The founders of this church named this Bethlehem Church because they wanted to be able to tell people, come to Bethlehem and see Jesus. I think that's great. But you don't even have to go to Bethlehem to find Jesus. God meets us. So as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he then said to these, come and follow me. And there's three things just in four words. Come, that means you've got to leave something that's lost. 
and follow, you got to do something else. That's about commitment. Become fishers of men. And just think about the change. I don't think these guys were highly trained in interpersonal relationships, counseling, and psychotherapy. I don't think they were great leaders by design and by development and by education. Think of the change. Guys that hung around with things were going to go and reach people. Amazing. Remarkable. What he was asking them to do. You, you come, leave that, and you follow, and then you follow me. That's significant too. A particular person. It's not about the follower. It's about the followed. You know, they didn't walk around going, I'm a Jesus follower. Cool me. They were, what are you about? And what is this all about? And he slowly allowed them to learn from him as they followed him. Because he never asks you to do anything that he hasn't already done. The God of all creation comes near to us where we are, asks us to leave what we think is ours, to enter into what is his, and yet never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Man, there's so much here. But let's just keep going because I want to try to bring it all together and apply it in the end. And then it goes on to say, at once they left their nets and followed. There's immediacy all over this thing. And in fact, all over Mark's gospel. Just in the first chapter, 11 times, he says something that's immediacy. Immediately, right away, without any delay, soon as it happened. You know, they, all of this immediacy as was these men's obedience. They didn't say, can I check with my wife about that? Uh, can I get back to you later? i got to finish this semester. Maybe when the kids get older. I... Immediacy. They just went. The point is, this is not meant to be a comfortable gospel. These were people that just did what Jesus told them to do. Now, I'm not saying they did it perfectly and we're going to walk through and find their weakness and failings, but off the bat they said, you say it, I'll do it. At least they had the hearts to. It's a true reflection of those following Christ. And then there's expense in this. They left their nets. They let go of a lot and it says at once. Now, what does it mean to drop your nets? Ah, they're smelly things. You didn't want to carry them anyway. No, to a fisherman... What did nets mean? Nets meant everything. Nets meant their identity, their security, their purpose, their fulfillment, their family's well-being. Wow. They just let them go. They jettisoned them. And they followed him. Some of you have been around for a little while. This is an extra credit question. There was a time when I did a series answering the question, what does this mean when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me more than these? What did that mean? And what I'm going to tell you today is it didn't mean the nets, which is an obvious question. They were sitting around on a seashore just after they had caught a bunch of fish they were eating. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, do you love me more than these? It could have been the nets, right? Because those would have been significant to his identity, his security, his purpose, his fulfillment, his family's well-being. It isn't. I'm going to leave you hanging. You can ask me afterwards if you want to know the answer to that question or go back on the website and find the series. But the reason I don't believe that it was is because 
they had already left these. At once they left their nets and followed. Then it says, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. Amazing how that's rendered. It's rendered culturally for the day. The, the firstborn or the older was much more important than the younger. And so it's like James the son of Zebedee and then yeah, brother, his brother John. Kind of after the fact, the brothers, uh, one is older, one is younger. James is older and John is younger. I think it's fascinating that he renders it that way because uh, also Mark was younger. We talked about that and saw him as a younger disciple. And yet uh, John ends up being the one that is rather remarkable. Now James is the first martyr, but John ends up being the one who lives this long life and writes so much of the New Testament, the Gospel, three letters, the book of Revelation. So just amazing what, what would have been kind of almost unrecognized what he becomes in the hands of the Christ that he followed. And then the father is mentioned, is mentioned here. He has much to lose. Now, these brothers had probably already been followers of John the Baptist. I believe they were. You go back to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it'll help you understand that a little bit. They were following, and he said, there he is. And they left John the Baptist and started following Jesus. And about the time that uh, he was imprisoned, they had stepped away from Jesus. He was, John the Baptist was imprisoned. Then Jesus comes back around, and he calls them and they follow him. Now, that's important because um, the family had already begun to allow their children to discover and consider what it would be to follow the plan of God in their lives. Come back to it as the phrases go on. They're preparing their nets once again. They have nets again. This is very significant. Without delay, without delay, he calls them and immediately, once again, they follow, they drop their nets and they left their father. This time the loss is even more complex. The stakes are higher. It's not just about Peter and, and uh, Andrew deciding they're not going to be fishermen anymore. It's, uh, there's a family involved in this one, seemingly. We'll find out that Peter had one uh, later as well. But it's so easy to miss what is significant here. Do you know the number one impediment for people being foreign followers of Christ? That is, those that would literally get up and go somewhere. Those that would leave their known place, ship out of Galilee, and go somewhere else, and live in a foreign place, and learn another language, and touch people with this message somewhere else in the world. Do you know the number one impediment? It must be danger, right? This is an incredibly dangerous world that we live in. And nobody's going to do that because they're going to risk their lives, right? Is that what it is? Or maybe it's money. Maybe it's the money because that takes a lot of money. You know how much it takes to support somebody to be a missionary in Europe anymore? I used to be appalled at the fact that it cost $60,000 a year for us to be supported as uh, these kind of foreign followers in there anymore. I think in Europe now it must be more like $160,000 a year to be able to support somebody in a ministry setting. I'm like, surely it's the money, right? Or maybe it's... You know, it's these kids. They're not willing to do anything anymore. There's a lack of commitment. You know, nobody's willing to actually get up and go. Of course, those aren't the reasons. The number one impediment to young people becoming foreign followers of Christ is their parents. Is their parents who say, you will not raise my grandchildren in another country. But Zebedee lets them go. 
The father had hired men. It says he left, they left their father with the hired men. Now, I'm not going to try and interpret every part of God's economy, but what I do know is he does provide. And what he asks, he does not ask in a way in which he will not provide. He does not ask of us what he will not provide for. He only asks us what he will provide for. And so this man didn't go bankrupt. His business didn't fall apart. As a matter of fact, God provided. This is a remarkable family. They were probably a part of the supporting of Jesus and his ministry for many years to come. His mother. And their mother came, and she's a little infamous for her story of asking that they be on the right and left of Jesus Christ in the, in the kingdom of God. But she was also one of the disciples, um, yeah, one of the few that didn't flee, one of the women that was at the cross. Willing to let their children become Christ followers wherever God called them to do that. So the marks of a Christ follower, what does it look like? It's exam time. Here we go. A Christ follower is a follower first. We join him. God is not some kind of great addition to your life plan. We're Christ followers. We're privileged to be a part of his eternal plan. So a true Christ follower is a follower first. A Christ follower is sick and needs a doctor. The longer I follow, the more I see my need. The more amazed I am that he would be willing to come near me. The more I see how much he understands me. And am I glad he makes house calls. A Christ follower is a dropper of what is theirs. Because it isn't theirs. You learn to let go more and more. I find myself time after time with more nets in my hands and hip going, what's that doing in your hand? You don't need that. Drop it. You learn what you thought was yours wasn't yours anyway. And you learn that what you leave doesn't even compare to what you gain. A Christ follower is a dropper of what they think is theirs so that everything becomes about him and what is his. A dropper is any, I mean, a Christ follower is anybody. He came to seek the save and the lost. He spent most of his time with the rejected. He came to meet anyone who wants to meet him. He can be anybody. I don't have the credentials, I don't have the education, I don't have this, I don't have that. You don't understand my past? Are you kidding? He came to the rejected of the rejected and he took a bunch of fishermen and turned them into these amazing ministers. A Christ follower is anybody. And a Christ follower goes where he goes. You stay as close as you can. You walk as much like him as you can. You walk with those that he would walk with, which means you walk with anybody. And you're a seeker of his will. You're a lifelong learner, like James and John, who were seeking after what God would have. And they were with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist goes, No, it would be better if you followed him. And then they went and they followed him. You go where he goes. And finally, a Christ follower knows what choice is in love. 
not all things are equal. Love has a priority of persons. A Christ follower knows that nothing asked of him or her is greater than what will be received, including whatever painful difficulty it might mean to be distant from those that we initially love. Jesus said it himself, everyone who has left houses or brothers, sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Man, that's a lot, isn't it? I tried to actually take that list and reduce it to a few less, and then I thought better of it for a couple of reasons. Because there's depth and there's continual development implicit in that, and there's probably more than I even listed there. And because every long journey is made up of a myriad of steps, I can't make that list any easier. But I won't make it any shorter either because this is a journey and a long walk and the great thing about walking is it's volitional you have to take the step but it's habitual you do it every day it's manageable because everybody can do it and it's effective over time the tortoise did beat the hare because he just stayed at it We acknowledge that there is a lot to learn on this journey we're on. So, trust, test. Can you trust Him for that? Can you trust Him that this is the definition of a Christian? Maybe this is like news to you. I didn't know that this is what a Christ follower, I didn't know that this is what a real Christian was. If you don't know that, I'd love to help you understand that. So keep coming or come and see me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Can you trust him for that? That list, listen, this is what you do. You just go pick one and you take a step and you watch him. You watch him provide, be enough, give him give you what you need, open the next door, help you do whatever. You pick it, you watch him work. And then you pick the next one. And you keep moving down the list. Will you follow him like that? Maybe you used to walk with him better than you do now. Have you wandered away? He's so incredibly patient. He lets us just fall back into step with him. And then finally, will you walk with others in that? Can you see the importance of doing this with other people? Nobody can do this by themselves. So what about those that are around you that are not walking, they're wandering? Got this really, really cool update this week from Alex Deutscher. A couple weeks ago, we showed you a video of this, one of our newer foreign followers that we invest in that's working in East Berlin, and he's planning a church over there. And he sends this, and here's the letter, a a note from one of the new, uh, actually about to become followers. She, She would not call herself a Christ follower yet. This past January, I came to your church for the first time. 
which was also my first time to ever go to a church service, ever. I was expecting to feel alienated and weird as someone who has no clue about anything. But to my own surprise, I was comfortable right away in a community that welcomed me with open arms. The services were fascinating to me from the beginning through the singing and sermons that were interwoven with biblical text into my everyday life. I experienced something I'd never experienced before, and so I kept coming again and again. By now, this church is a permanent and really important part of my life. I'm still making my way towards faith. And you guys are gently accompanying me on that path. I don't feel pressured, rushed, but free to go, experience, and reflect. See, there's a testimony of a group of people around her who are helping her walk towards becoming a Christ follower. So, So how about us? He means for us to walk with Him and with others simply, intentionally, patiently. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, because... This is a long walk, and many times a heavy lift. But I thank you for your patience, for your proximity, for never asking us to do anything you haven't already done, and promising us to, that you will be with us every step of the way. We have a lot to learn and a long way to go and, and grow being all you want us to be as Christ followers. But help us take great encouragement from the fact that a bunch of real weak men became amazing instruments in your hand. Keep us from giving up. Help us find that thing that we need to do this week. Step out and watch you provide. In Jesus' name we pray.